This is the Data Privacy Detective, and today we're going to talk about data breaches, and not what you read in the headlines, but we're going to get under the hood if it were a vehicle. And with us today to talk about this is a real expert in the data breach area, and it's Andy Lunsford. Andy, uh, thank you for joining us uh, today. Thanks for having me. Now, Andy, you're an attorney, and uh, you founded and are CEO of a software company by the name Breach RX. And as I understand it, this is a company that uh, has created a, an incident management platform and that helps businesses reduce their risk of a data breach by uh, moving beyond kind of traditional spreadsheets and documents into a SAAS, software as a service platform that uh, keeps pace with the things that are changing in the area, regulatory, law, contractual obligations, all sorts of things. Yeah, that's right. You know, our, our, our focus is really helping companies be proactively prepared for any incident they may face so they can respond to it quickly, recover, and rather our whole scope is, you know, how do we make these incidents less of a crisis for a company and more of a routine business process, just kind of recognizing that it, it is literally an endemic issue that every company faces and how can we make this um, less painful for everybody involved. Right. Well, there's a lot of pain in front of you. You've used the word incident a few times. Just, just help the listeners understand what's the difference between an incident and a breach? Sure. Yeah. So breach is a you know, legally defined word in a lot of these regulations. And so when a company declares that something was a breach, that you know, basically requires a whole slew of notification requirements for that company. And so incident is one way to talk about things that maybe don't rise to that level. And, and usually when something crosses from incident to breach, it's it's whether personal information, personally identifiable information has been accessed or acquired um, by another party that's unauthorized to have that information. Now, but they, they that, may not have stolen it. I mean, somebody might have lost yeah. a computer for a day and then they get it back. Yeah, absolutely. It could be a, as simple as a misdirected email that, you know, went, you know, one customer's information went to the wrong, went to the wrong customer. Um, another classic example is like at a pharmacy, if, uh, you know, the one patient's information goes to another patient unintentionally, but I think what's but it's another not, thing- not considered a breach. That's a different thing. That's when the personal yeah. information of a lot of people is somehow released to what's probably a bad actor. Is that sort yeah. of a simple way to understand this? Yeah, that, that's, that's an easy way to understand it. I think uh, another piece to, that is, makes this even more complicated more recently is that now incidents are also, um, whether the personal information is involved or not, are also reason to notify. So security incidents, um, and you know, there's a difference, there's an overlap and difference between privacy incidents and security incidents, but now, um, a lot of the regulators are saying, hey, if you have security incidents, we, we actually want to be notified about those too. Well, there's some countries that are saying you got to tell the regulator within six hours of an incident. <laughs> we'll see how easy yeah. that is for people. But let, let's let's get right into it now. The companies you work with, how do they respond? And, and what's the difference between companies that, that have, have developed a response plan, hoping they'll never need to use it? It's kind of like life insurance. You hope you're not going to die. But uh, <laughs> the difference between those that have a response plan and those who react without one, what's, what's the experience you see? Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it, there's a major difference between being reactive and proactive when it comes to, to preparing for these incidents. So having an incident response plan is, is absolutely a good starting point. And I think, unfortunately, 
so many companies do have that mentality of like, oh, I, I hope I never have to use this. But um, the reality is pretty much every company does. And um, the, the problem, I think, when you have a document that has that sort of mindset in it, it's often not super detailed in what you actually need to do. It's usually much more of a high level framework, like, hey, here are the team members that are going to be involved. Here are some of the outside vendors we want to um, get on the phone and, and have working for us. Maybe we even have some of them on retainer. Um, but it doesn't actually give you actionable steps of, okay, this happened. So now we need to do, um, you know, why? And so um, that's where I see that is actually this bigger and bigger change amongst companies is those that are actually practicing responding to incidents and preparing more than a high level framework in a, in a document. They're actually you know, building out specific plans for specific scenarios like a ransomware scenario, a phishing scenario, yeah. or, um, et cetera, any kind of thing that you see happening. Um, um, that they're they're prepared to to act on those right away and not spend a lot of time kind of spinning your wheels trying to figure out what's required. Yeah, so so the best company would be one that not only has a plan but has actually practiced it. Well, help us understand. Okay, so there's a data breach, and and uh, probably everybody in the United States has received at one time or another notice that your data has been breached, and we give you a free year of credit count, uh, you know, free credit to access to the credit agencies or you know something. But what actually happens? Uh, the, the data has been exposed and taken by somebody who may not be known. And, and what really happens? Where does the data go? And, and can we ever know if, it, it, if it's ever completely recovered? Um, yeah, so it's unfortunately the, the answer I have here is not super rosy in that way. Where that information goes is, is very hard to track. So the adversary that's taken it um, and maybe proven in some way that they have that data, even if you negotiated some deletion of that data or giving back that data or in a ransomware situation, unencrypting that data, uh, it's very easy for that adversary to have copied that data in any number of ways and put it in any number of places. And we often see it come up, you know, in the, in the dark web, it'll get sold because it can be used to, um, you know, do personal identity theft for, for the individual's information that's involved. That's the the reality. I think there are some um, groups that have that, that this is probably I don't know if people have talked about this on your podcast before, but there are groups like the Revil group in Russia that have actually made this into a business where they create ransomware as a service where people these oh absolutely and, and this is not some kid uh, in the basement you know this is a business this is a yeah. serious business yeah right. And, yeah. and the reality is, otherwise, I understand it, forensics can pretty well tell if, if the data has been exfiltrated, to use one of the words we yes. use in this business. But that doesn't mean you can tell if they have kept a copy and have, are selling it on the dark web. Would that be right? Right, exactly. And, and that's what they're, the forensics are trying to determine is, was the data actually accessed or exfiltrated um, or both? And, and that's, it's really, you know, in, next to impossible to follow the, the thread much further than that once it leaves a company's, um, you know, machines. Yeah. You know, and this could be your medical information, could be your security number, could be bank account information, all sorts of things can get hacked. And uh, this is what's at risk. So it's really important for companies to have personnel in charge of how to deal with this. And, and let me, let me turn now. 
I, we're going to come back to what can individuals do whose data has been taken. But how about the company personnel who are on the line here to try to prevent, of course, an incident or a breach, but then to be responsible for what happens when you have one? And we've got a recent, I think it's the first, conviction, criminal conviction in the United States of a CISO, somebody in charge for a company, uh, the data breach, uh, the Joe Sullivan case. Tell us about that. What, what happened? Yeah. So yeah, this is the former Uber CISO, Joe Sullivan. Yes, it was the first time that we've seen an executive being criminally charged for failing to notify when the regulator expected a notification. And so it's it's very controversial in, in this space because one, it, it's going after somebody personally and not and not just the corporation itself, but also you know, at the time when this happened, uh, there really was no generally applicable to that situation federal requirement to notify. Basically, Uber was under an FTC in investigation for us, an earlier breach they'd had, and um, there was an expectation from the FTC that there would be ongoing um, notifications of other other breaches, but there was not an actual requirement at the time, and so that that's what's kind of the rub here is that they're uh, holding him accountable saying he should have, he should have known better um, and, and notified. And so it's tough. I mean, I think that obviously I'm a huge privacy buff. I, I believe in the right to privacy and think that companies really need to take this seriously when it comes to protecting consumer data. But in this case, it really, you know, is one of those instances where, okay, I, and I often make this analogy to, if you imagine as a, per, as, as a consumer, if you were to have someone break into your house and steal valuables from you. And then it's this is the way the situation works in the data breach context. It'd be if you didn't notify the police, you know, immediately or very soon thereafter, you could face being fined for having that break-in happen. And then also potentially in this case, the Joe Sullivan, go to jail. So you're really kind of you know, triple victim here of that scenario. Um, and, and I think that that's just taking it too far. I don't know that sending um, you know, Joe Sullivan to jail is going to actually make companies' data more secure, make people care about privacy more. I think there are other ways to go about doing this. Now, there were certainly allegations. We know there was a conviction, but uh, you know, allegations are one thing, uh, that, that Mr. Sullivan not only failed to notify, but participated in something of a cover-up. I'm not saying that's true or false, but that's... Uh, Nonetheless, he got uh, convicted, um, and, and I don't think anybody's in favor of people who try to cover something up deliberately. But, you know, what does this mean then to people being willing to take on a role uh, like a CISO within a company? Uh, after all, when there's an incident, as you've described it, you're not sure yet whether it's a breach. You have to investigate. Take the United States, you know, of any state so far in the federal government that requires reporting every incident. Yeah, I, I, it really puts the professionals that are in charge of making these decisions and all their teams that are involved in helping them make these decisions in a really tight, hard place, because on the one hand, um, your job, it, and I think a lot of lawyers can probably relate to this, is to protect your company from liability, do things that are going to minimize the risk, maintain and um, shareholder value for, for the company when you're you know, publicly traded. Um, and so when a breach happens or an incident happens or a potential breach or incident happens, um, it's not um, in your company's interest necessarily to 
declare immediately as soon as possible that oh we might have had something happen everybody needs to, to know about this because that can you know disrupt customer trust and churn and that kind well of it might not be a breach it might not yeah. be it might be an incident that a, a laptop has been lost okay well question you know you don't know it's a breach yet you say right. oh we've had a breach of uh, 10 million you know that can affect the stock price if it's a public you know so you have to be a little careful here and, and then once you know it is to whom do you report let's say it's a global company Fair to say there's no agreement around the world on how to deal with these things? Yeah, the, uh, that's, that's the, the other complicated piece here is that you know, there's 180 plus regulations worldwide around these incidents. Around and within the United States, incident. 50 states, and uh, they're getting into the action. Yeah, and all areas. the territories. Yeah, yeah. plus yeah, there's, so it's depending on the sector you're in. Yeah, exactly. So it, it's a lot to sort through if you're, if you're a world wide cover. If you have customers across the world, your company has a lot to sort through. And, and when you're talking about deadlines like India's of six hours, um, you know, that's a, six hours that's to report incidents too. They, they don't use the word breach. Uh, it's a different yeah. thing. Well, what do you let's let's look ahead here. I mean, you know, we don't have a world uh, Congress that makes the laws. Uh, but do we need an international standard or even a U.S. standard? Would that help both the, those who want to strengthen privacy rights and the ability of companies to deal with situations like this. Absolutely. I, I think that everybody from a consumer perspective, from a um, you know, company perspective would benefit from having a universal standard. Um, the complication comes here is that there's a lot of power in having a different standard than everyone else's. So in it, in the world economics, the EU holds a lot of power right now because GDPR has stronger um, privacy rules than other places. And so the, the flow of data, for instance, is a big, big issue there. And by them having the higher standard, it really makes the world kind of adjust to them and a lot of business flow through the EU in a different, different way than it would if they didn't hold that standard. And so that's this sort of conflict that is that is happening. I think there are ways, though, where you you could come to more of a an agreed upon standard and still have like as far as here are the standard ways to notify, and here's a standard system for notifying. Even if you want to have you know greater levels of of um, of you know, detail that one that one country needs from another, one state needs from another, or faster timeline from one state to another. If we could at least get on one uniform system that would allow you know, a company to report in one way to all of these entities at once, I think that would really um, save a lot of time and ultimately get notice to consumers faster, which is really what they're what you know they're trying to achieve here is that let consumers know as soon as possible so they can take actions to protect themselves. Right. So once we, once we're notified uh, as, as consumers or as users, we can change our passwords. We can change our credit cards if needed. We can let our bank know. So it's for mutual protection. And it sounds like something that countries and states ought to be able to agree on, no matter what their political philosophy or whether they're democratic or totalitarian. It just helps everybody. Yeah, it, yeah I really do think it's it's not a Democrat-Republican issue. I no. think it's really, it's, it's, it's something everybody wants your information to be more secure. 
and and I think I think there is a path. It's just can can we get enough people willing to do it? Well, let's see if somebody can do it. Is what we did with time zones in the latter part of the 19th century. I mean, it's different cities, yeah. different time zones. It was <laughs> the fabled president Chester Arthur who said, "Nope, we're going to have certain time zones," and then the world created time zones, and that's worked very well with no political overtones. But let me uh, let me ask you this as we conclude uh, here. And what advice do you have for individuals? who get a notice from a company that their personal data, along with many other people's data, has been breached. What can individuals do? Yeah, well, I think the first step is for that that account, whichever you know company is letting you know the information's breached, you at least bare minimum want to change your, your password and login information for that account as soon as possible. That would be immediately. Yeah. Usually the companies help facilitate that by requiring a reset the next time you log in, but that's, that's fair number, number one. Yeah. And also if they have it available, certainly use double factor or multi-factor authentication. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think any, I, I do it across any account that offers it, but multi-factor authentication where you have an authenticator app, because there, there is some multi-factor authentication with text messaging that is not quite as secure. There is some ways that sophisticated adversaries can take over in, in those situations, but having a, an authenticator app or another device that generates these one-time, you know, 30-second changes yeah. in, in right. code is the biggest step that is easily accessible to consumers to use. I think also using a password manager is really helpful. Password manager. You know, and that's certainly on the rise, isn't it? And they aren't so hard to deal with. People can be afraid of them, but it's really pretty easy. Yeah. And, I, and you know, having those password managers automatically generate very complex, long passwords for you makes your account and makes it unique because the, the pattern for most consumers is you're trying to remember these since you use the same password you know, multiple times in different places. And so well, you write that, you create a little book and then you lose it. And, and boy, what yeah. have you done? You know? <laughs> so, yeah. And, a, and yeah. A, a password manager is a great idea that have a vault where yeah. know, it is a protective measure. Right. What else? I mean, it, 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 sometimes, sometimes people overreact and, uh, you know, cancel things they don't need to. Uh, what's the rest of your advice to individuals who have been one of the many victims of a data? Yeah, I don't think it, it, I think the the reality is pretty much all of us have had our information breached in some combination of companies. Most of us, I'd probably say have multiple. I've had some instances for myself, even with the OPM breach with, for the, the government that has very detailed information about my background. Oh, the IRS um, has been breached. Uh, you know, the yeah. Defense Department has been breached. This is, yeah, that's right. So I, I think that it is overly reactionary to just immediately cancel accounts if, if, a, if, if a business has hadn't had a breach. But I think that, I mean, if obviously if it's a continual issue and they're not taking security seriously, maybe that's a different company you don't want to do business with. But just the instance of it happening, um, just the disruption it can cause you to try to, especially like a financial account, for instance, you might have all kinds of things tied to your credit card, for instance, that can be a lot of work to unpack and, and get set up. And so I think the simple, quick changing your password and your username, making sure multi-factor authentication is in place, those things can cover you from most of the risk. Good point. And then just uh, on the credit card point you raised, it's one thing for a credit card company or bank to, to block a transaction if it's phony. It's another thing to cancel the card. I mean, that, that really can create uh, a lot of time and effort for individuals. 
Yeah. Any, any concluding comments? Fascinating topic. This space is changing all the time. And so I think for those of us that are in it, if you love, love learning and you, you love that kind of intersection between the law and technology, it, it's a really fun place to be. And I, I definitely feel like it's one of the most gratifying areas of law you can be involved in. Well, Andy, uh, thank you for graduating from attorney to CEO of a company, BreachRx, and uh, giving us your thoughts today about what really happens in data breaches, what we as individuals and certainly any company personnel involved in dealing with these things will want to avoid what happened to Joe Sullivan. So thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you so much and, for having me. I really appreciate it. And as always, I'll remind us all, protecting your personal privacy begins with you.